real thrill for me to be able to do this today. It's um, one of the great joys of my life, been being involved with Truett Seminary from the very beginning. And uh, I'm honored that uh, I was asked to be able to participate. President Garland, Dr. Tucker, esteemed faculty, colleagues, friends, students, and guests, this is one of the great honors of my life to be able to share my personal experiences and thoughts about George W. Truett Theological Seminary from the very beginning. My overriding impression about Truett Seminary is that it is the result of a God-given vision first realized by one man, Herbert Reynolds, and then caught by others and made brought to reality. My students have heard me say numerous times, all things are created twice, first in the mind and heart of a person, and then from that in reality. And uh, that in turn leads to the creation factual reality. In the history of the people of God, the most moving and impressive visions have been those born in the heart and mind of God and then given to individuals who've been the conduit of those visions and dreams. Others have bought into those dreams and together they've bought those dreams and visions uh, to concrete reality. The great reason those visions and dreams came to reality was because they truly came from God. This is my thought when I think of Truett Seminary. I remember when there was no Truett Seminary. George W. Truett Theological Seminary existed only in the mind and heart of Herbert J. Reynolds. As he communicated his dream to others, they too caught the vision. The circle of the vision continued to grow until it began to take larger and larger steps, move faster and faster, heading toward reality. Sometimes it is true that the light breaks through. I remember when classes began. How was the First Baptist Church Waco? I remember the first faculty members and staff members who caught the vision. I remember when the first class graduated in the auditorium of First Baptist Church Waco. Dr. Frank Pollard preached a delightful message. He had all of us laughing the entire time. Uh, Joseph Parker of Austin, one of the graduates of that first class, brought his choir and they sang in celebration of that great moment. Dr. Foster hooded the graduates. It was indeed a special, great moment. And I remember when we started raising money for this building. It was nothing more than a picture on a piece of paper. When I, as chair of the advisory board at that time, gave the first $1,000 toward the money raised for this building that we're in. I never come to work, never walk up the walk toward this building without thinking of the fact that this only existed in our hearts and minds at one time. Oh, the power of vision, especially when that vision comes from God. I remember when Dr. Reynolds first spoke to me about his vision of a Truett Seminary. And I quote, Levi, just imagine, he said to me, if we can graduate just 50 students a year, what an impact it would have on our world. And yes, I caught the vision also. And I stand here today incredibly moved at the reality that is George W. Truett Seminary. And by the way, this year we graduated 70. A dream comes to reality. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. I want to go back and, and think first with you about about the scripture passage that Dr. Nan read to us. This, of course, was about the beginning of the, of the uh, vision of the tabernacle. And he says very clearly in Exodus 25, verse 9, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. 
And then in verse 40 of that same chapter, talking about the the lampstand and the lamps in the tabernacle. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Chapter 26, verse 30, speaking there about the curtains and the frames, wood for the building. He says, set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. In chapter 27, verse 8, speaking about the altar, he says, it is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. In chapter 31, verse 11, there speaking, uh, speaking about the woven garments, the ark, the furnishings, the table and its articles and the altar of incense. He says, they are to be, you are to make them just as I have commanded you. And then of course in chapter 39, this particular uh, book, uh, verse 32, the Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses in, chapter, in verse 42. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. The Lord gave a vision and the vision was of a tabernacle. And evidently from the scripture, it was not only important that the the tabernacle be carried out, but even that the details of that tabernacle be carried out. I believe the Lord gave the vision of George W. Truett Theological Seminary. And I believe it was important to God that it be carried out according to the vision that, that was received from God on high. I believe it's important today that it continue to be carried out in the same way. And then of course the New Testament reading, we read about how Jesus went in and cleaned out the temple because, because they had stopped using the temple the way the Lord meant for it to be used. And just like there were those of us who have had a part in the creation of George W. Truett Theological Seminary, I want to say to you that you, like those in the later day, need to be the guardians of that vision. And you need to continue the vision and keep the vision alive in every, every sense of the word. As those of us who were involved from the beginning begin to pass the torch, uh, begin to pass from the scene, it's important that we pass the torch to you. It's important that you become the guardians of the vision of God. I'm even reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in a very different context in Acts chapter 26 when he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. The historical situation that caused the seminary to come into being had to do with the doctrinal struggle that went on with the fundamentalist movement when the fundamentalists began to take control of the Southern Baptist Convention. The stated and obvious goal to the fundamentalist movement would have taken control of the Southern Baptist seminaries and other institutions of higher learning. Baylor University was one of the primary targets of the fundamentalists. Dr. Reynolds, the Baylor Board of Trustees, and others moved to keep this from happening when the Baylor University changed its charter September the 12th, 1990. I happened to be chair of the executive committee of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, and I made the motion that brought this new arrangement and alignment into being the BGCT meeting here in Waco. It was Dr. Reynolds' conviction that someone needed to take up the burden of carrying on the traditional and historical stance of Baptists as they've been known in this part of the world. Reynolds, of course, was not alone in this conviction. There were many others of us concerned about the very same thing. We were concerned that the fundamentalist controlled Southern Baptist Convention was moving away from traditional Baptist principles that we considered very important. I want to give you nine of those ways of moving away from those traditional principles that bothered us in those days. 
Number one was to change the position of separation of church and state. Number two was the weakening emphasis upon and the attempted removal of the doctrines of the priesthood of the believer and soul competency. The most recent edition of the Baptist Faith and Message originally did not have priesthood of the believer in it, but after the convention rebelled, the term was added, priesthood of believers. Number three, the pastor is authoritarian. Webster's Unabridged Dictionary defines this as characterized by unquestioned obedience to authority rather than individual freedom of judgment and action. This is autocratic authoritarianism. Baptist churches have traditionally been congregational. It goes without saying that Truett Seminary is committed to the concept of servant leadership as lived out in the person of Jesus Christ and taught in the New Testament. Number four, the removal of the Lordship of Jesus Christ is the criterion by which the Bible is to be interpreted. The most recent Baptist statement of faith and message completely took out the following statement, and I quote, the criterion by which the Baptist the Bible is to be interpreted is Jesus Christ. That has been completely removed. Number five is the trend toward creedalism, exercised by making missionaries, professors, and others sign a creedal statement, actually firing those who will not sign the statement. Number six is the diminishing doctrine of autonomy and freedom of the local church. Autonomous church alone has the right to decide who can and or cannot be its pastor, an autonomous church alone has the right to decide what its beliefs and values are. The following statements are removed from the most recent statement of the Baptist faith and message. I quote, the church is an autonomous body. And again, I quote, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation. Both of these statements are no longer there. Number seven, the trend toward Calvinism, genuine Christianity as adherence to a set of beliefs rather than a personal experience of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number eight, the diminishing the role of women in marriage and in church. And number nine, the use of fear tactics to enforce alignment with their movement, actually publishing material that states, for example, that the Baptist General Convention of Texas supports a homosexual lifestyle. Now this information is garnered from the writings of uh, William Pinson and Russell Dilday and as I always tell my students in class, you always get the, the, the Levi rendition of that when you, when you hear that. I'd like to quote, if I may, from J.I. Packer in his book, Power Religion, what he calls carnal conservatism. Number one, an authoritarian style of leadership. Number two, the use of secular political strategies to organize and take control. Number three, fanning emotional fears by supposed conspiracy theories. Th theories. Number four, government entanglements that reduce the church to nothing more than another special interest group. Number five, the use of peer pressure to enforce conformity, ganging up, ostracizing, withholding rewards from those who refuse to go along. And number six, the total defeat of those who disagree, which Packer calls an ugly denominational version of ethnic cleansing. Truett Seminary was born in the desire to have a quality institution that believed in and taught the traditional historical Baptist principles. It's hard to explain how we felt in those days. I was in the Vietnam War. I have tried through the years to explain to my son what it was like to be alive in those Vietnam days. The peace movement so large and so powerful, and yet those who were opposed to that, and what it was like to be, there's no way to explain. I can explain and explain, and he can never understand. And I know many of you could care less 
about the doctrinal things behind the forming of George W. Truett Seminary. But let me tell you something. Those of us who were involved in that day were like people without a country. I could no longer support my seminary, the seminary where I received my degrees. When they gave up the music program, it was the last straw for me. And all of us had the last straw one way or another. And we could no longer support the places. And so when Dr. Reynolds came and began to talk to us about, about you know, a new seminary that would stand for the historical principles that were so important to us, oh, it was like a light from heaven. Cannot explain to you what it meant. Now I've got somewhere I can send my young people who want to go to seminary. Now I can be proud to support a seminary somewhere and that sort of thing. We lived through that. And there's really no way to explain that to you except to say that that's a part of our beginning. And that's what really happened in the beginning. And though it may not be important to you, it was important to us the days when we began this seminary. A bit of history. July the 24th, 1990. Baylor Board of Trustees officially reserved with the Secretary of State the name George W. Truett Theological Seminary. Now, I want to tell you something today. I want to be real honest with you today. Well, I'm always honest. <laughs> Pretty much always honest. <laughs> the history is written one way, and we know that people go back and rewrite history, but even original history is written one way, and sometimes those of us who were involved in history don't remember it exactly like it was written. And part of what I'm doing today is going to talk to you about the way I remember it, all right? So according to the history, the Baylor Board of Trustees officially reserved with the Secretary of State the name George W. Truett's Theological Seminary. The way I honestly remember it, Herbert J. Reynolds did that. And at that point, the Board of Trustees had nothing at all to do with it. He went down and reserved with the Secretary the name George W. Truett Theological Seminary. March the 25th, 1991, George W. Truett Seminary was chartered. A 15-member board of trustees was named. Some of the people on that original board of trustees were not even aware of why they were named that trustee. When they were asked at the first meeting, did not even know why they came to that first meeting. Now, many of us had heard about it before, but some of them had not. July the 18th, 1991, an organizational meeting of the seminary trustees was held. Officers were elected and a statement of purpose was adopted. It was at this meeting that the first discussion, I have in parentheses, debate, about the future of the seminary was held. There were those who desired the seminary to be a school that met mainly in churches around the country, a sort of distance learning institution. But the decision was made, even in this original meeting, the decision was made that the seminary would be a school that students attended in one place, and that one place would be in Waco. There were those in the group that were not satisfied with this decision, and it would come up again. Mentoring, which I'm very much involved in, and which was, was a, a stretch at compromise. Our mentoring was a stretch at trying to compromise with those who wanted to do work in the local churches, wanted to do the seminary training in local churches. And the decision was made that there would be a local seminary with the community that could be built and all of that important around that seminary. And then, of course, mentoring became a part of the way we went out and worked in the churches. At that meeting as well, the original purpose was adopted, and it included the following definitive ideas. Number one, students would be equipped with an informed and coherent evangelical Baptist theology. Number two, students would be equipped with a broad view of the world 
as opposed to a narrow definition of cultural attitudes and values. Number three, students would be equipped with shepherding and leadership skills consistent with historic Baptist commitments to a truly congregational life as reflected in church polity, the freedom of conscience, the priesthood of believers, and the spiritual giftedness of all members. And number four, students would be equipped as preachers, communicators who humbly but forcefully would articulate the Word of God so that it could be heard and understood within the church and the world. On January the 17th, 1992, a joint meeting of the Truett Trustees in the Baylor Regents took place in which the trustees shared with the Regents the purpose and ideology that had been adopted by the trustees. Only Regents and trustees were invited, except for Toby Druin, who was the editor of the Baptist Standard. Dr. Louis George, an African-American Regent who was a great, great benefactor of Baylor through the years, began the meeting by praying that the Lord remove the devil among us. And Toby Druin always said he must have been the devil that needed to be removed. <laughs> it was at this meeting, Bill Bryan at this meeting told the Regents what the seminary trusted had in mind. And it was at this meeting that the Regents took the seminary under the wing of the university, January the 17th, 1992. May the 21st, 1993, Baylor Regents approved the opening of George W. Truett's Theological Seminary with the beginning of the 1994-95 calendar year. At this meeting, the Regents accepted the invitation of First Baptist Church Waco to house the seminary on the second floor of the B.H. Carroll Educational Building. All of this, by the way, was very important. B.H. Carroll, of course, was one of the forming members of Southwestern Baptist Seminary. All of this was important. The name George W. Truett, the name B.H. Carroll, these things, these were leaders uh, of the moderate movement among Baptists in their days. And so all of these things and names were important. August the 31st, 1994, seminary classes began with 51 students registered. Dr. Creed used to say those days over at First Baptist Church were tabernacle days. He said there will come a day when we'd move into the temple. Folks, you, you all are blessed. You have the temple the whole time you're here. <laughs> tabernacle days is against temple days. And in the spring semester of 2002, seminary classes were held for the first time in the present seminary building. The original faculty, Dr. Robert Sloan was dean, Dr. Bradley Creed, Dr. A.J. Chip Conyers, Dr. Russell Dilday, Dr. Ruth Ann Foster, Nancy DeClalise Walford. The original staff, Tom Chisholm, Stacey Hauser, Doralyn Jackson, and B.J. Tisdale Hyatt. Hyatt. Through the years, faculty was added. First was William Harris. Librarian, now it's librarian at Baylor. Lyling Nahn, 1996. Betty Talbert, 1996. 1997, David Garland. 1998, Terry York. 1999, Roger Olson. 2000, Hewlett Lore. How proud we were, how proud we were that we had now gotten these very popular world-class scholars, well-known preachers and, and communicators to be a part of the teaching faculty here at Truett Seminary. 2001, Mike Stroop, 2001, Ron Cook, and these were answers to prayer. Uh, prayer from the earliest day was that we would have a top-notch missions professor here at the seminary. 2002, Dennis Tucker, Joel Weaver. 2003, Todd Still. 2005, Joel Gregory. 2006, Paul Sands. 2007, Andy Arterbury, David Wilhite, Amy Jacober, and Brian Brewer. 
And of course, with Dr. Brewer, we came full circle so that one of our graduates is now one of our colleagues on the faculty here at Truett Seminary. There's a certain way of saying we've come to a certain degree of maturity when, when that happens. And then in 2008, Dr. Stephen Reed, whom we've all come to love so much. Quality, diversity, uh, the most collegial group of people I've ever worked with in my life. According to Tom Chisholm, Tom's right out here by my wife, according to Tom Chisholm, those early years when everything had to be done for the first time, imagine having to do calendars, uh, curriculum development, et cetera, for the first time. Uh, all those things had to be done for the first time. He said the faculty would get together on Fridays for lunch and talk about becoming Princeton on the Brazos. This was the dream. Someday Truett Seminary would have the same effectiveness and power Princeton Seminary has. Tom also commented this, and I want to quote from him. Truett Seminary did not just happen. God raised up Truett Seminary. He has a special purpose and mission for Truett. We must constantly be in tune with what he's called us to do. The Center for Ministry Effectiveness, which is now over in the university, came out of that original group. I think the idea originated with Russell Dilday. I'm not sure, but it came out of that original group. And although it's not on the seminary now, it came from the seminary. Now I want to take the rest of my time and just talk with you about some personal things, if I may, that I remember. Uh, the first time Dr. Truett, uh, Dr. Reynolds spoke to me about the seminary, how exciting I was about it and how easy it was to catch the vision. That's the way it is with a God-given vision. Uh, not only is it given to the one who gives it, but also to those who receive the vision. And we caught the vision. I remember the seminary trustees' first meetings and uh, coming together, trying to figure out what Truett Seminary would be and what it would amount to, all of those sorts of things. I remember the initial organizational advisory board meeting. Dr. Sloan, who was the first dean, spoke about the kind of ministers he hoped the seminary to produce. He wanted to produce ministers who were scholarly and understood, understood all there was to be understood about theology and the Bible but also ministers who could minister effectively to people in the world and could communicate what they had learned at the seminary to the people in the world. Uh, Bill Bryan of Amarillo, a lawyer, very active in Baptist work, was elected the first chair. And I was privileged to be the second chair of the Board of Advisors here at the seminary. Dr. Sloan moved to the presidency of Baylor. Dr. Dilday was interim dean, and then Dr. Creed became dean. Uh, board meetings were fun. Oh, I don't know at this point in your life if you understand this or not, but most board meetings are not very fun. <laughs> board meetings at this seminary were fun. We had this interchange with the professors. I mean, I mean, I can remember talking with them and conversing with them. They were a part of the discussions. They entered into the discussions. They were a part of the decisions that we made. There was this, there was this tremendous interchange with with the professors. There was a tremendous interchange with the students. The students were there. They were with us. We were with them. We were talking to them, learning from them. And, and it was just this, 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 this community that was established that was so meaningful, so much fun in those early days. It's the only board I ever served on in my life, when it, and I served on several. It's the only board I ever served on in my life where the institutional leaders actually valued and listened to the board members. Uh, I remember I was on a missions task force. I think probably Tom Chisholm was responsible for putting me on a missions task force. What would Truett Seminary do about missions? Now, this was the day when we had uh, five professors, none of which was a missions professor. What would we do about missions? 
and we worked together as a task force. We decided that, that every professor would include missions in their teaching of theology or the scriptures or preaching or whatever, every, every professor. And we also said that someday we would have a quality missions professor. Well, I'll let you judge. Dr. Stroop is our missions professor. I mean, we could not have done better, could we? And I also want to say to you that we said that we ought to have mission trips. And we suggested that we have one mission trip to, to a close place like Mexico or Central America somewhere, and another mission trip around the world. Listen, that very year, Brad Creed himself led the mission trip to Mexico. Oh, it was so exciting. They actually listened to us. And they did something about the things that we suggested. And oh, you think we were not involved in, even as outsiders, we felt like uh, we, we, we had a part of it. It was so much, so much fun. I remember the board meeting where once again, the subject came up. Would we be a seminary that went out and did our training out of churches? Or would we be a seminary that, that uh, did our training at one central place? Dr. Sloan came back to the seminary to discuss why we would be a seminary who would do our seminary training in one place. And at that point, some very powerful human beings who were on our, our board of advisors very ceremoniously got their briefcase together, like some of you guys do when time for class is over, you know. They got their briefcase together, they crammed everything in their briefcase, walked out of the, walked out of the building while he was still standing up in front of them and never came back. And uh, I remember those things that, you know, the seminary was being molded. I remember Dr. Conyers, who was very much involved in, in, in all of the discussions. And I remember Chip talking about, about uh, how we had a choice. We could be like Phoenix University and have training centers all over everywhere. Or we could be like Princeton University and have people come. Well, what kind of choice is that, you know? Well, as you know, Dr. Connors was no dummy. He knew what he was doing. But, but, but the faculty was very much a part of all of that discussion, very much involved with all of that. I remember the board meeting when we began to raise money for the seminary building. John Baugh and his wife, Eula May, had, had early on said that they would underwrite the seminary for the first five years of the seminary, and that's one of the reasons we were able to go ahead and begin the seminary. And they gave significantly and generously um, and when the time came to raise money for the building, Mr. Ball gave $5 million to this building. And the Pipers as well, uh, jo uh, Paul and Katie Piper as well, were very generous in their giving to the building of this building. But I don't want you to lose sight. Listen to me. I don't want you to lose sight of the many others who gave. Maybe they didn't give a lot of dollars, but they gave sacrificially. And they gave meaningfully to this seminary so we could have this building, this building here. I went, uh, some of us raised money from others as well as gave what we could give. Some of us raised money from others. I went to a friend of mine and asked him to do what he could to, to support the seminary. And this friend gave the money for classroom number 215. And uh, he gave it in honor of my mother, Juanita Allred Price. I know, you go in a classroom, you could care less whose name's on there. But it means something to me. And it meant something to those folks. 
good friends, good friends who gave the money for the offices that now house Dr. Stroop and Dr. Reed, Jamie and Carol Parker, and many others. Bunch of names back there on the wall, bunch of names in there in the great hall on the wall. They don't mean anything at all to you. But to many of us, they mean a lot. We gave our little bit, Lou and I did, and I remember going and when, when we had the dedication of the building, we went out here to look, find our name, and we found our name, and it had Levi and Ruth Price. My wife's name is Lou. And my wife said, who's Ruth? Needless to say, she was not pleased about that. But I want you just to sometimes stop and notice those names. People sacrificed. They worked hard. They gave money for this seminary and for this building. And to them, it's not a small thing. That year, we had the first Friends of Truett dinner meeting, and we had it at El Paso. Uh, that's where the convention was that year. And, of course, that's meaningful to me because I was pastor in El Paso. But we had the first Friends of Truett meeting. And the reason for the first Friends of, Friends of Truett meeting was to raise money for this building and to put out the beginning raising of money for this building that we're in right now. Uh, we hoped for a lot of people, and we had about twice as many people show up as we hoped for. It was amazing success, and we were so pleased with the way it went. What I want you to understand is that there are many people out there across this state and across this world who became contributors to this seminary. It was important to them. And they all own a piece of the rock, so to speak. And they feel an ownership to it. And it's very important. I remember the Regents meeting when it was decided where the seminary would be located. And there were different places where it could be located. But we had a powerful seminary regent, uh, a university regent, who felt like a great Christian university ought to have out front somewhere a chapel, something that looked like a place of worship. And that's the reason we're in this place. Because you come down the freeway, you see this chapel in this place. Oh, he argued strongly for it. Of course, it was a blessing for those of us who were involved with the seminary because we wanted a prominent place. And, of course, we got this prominent place here because they wanted that sort of thing. I remember that. This was a vacant lot with a power station over here on the corner back in those days. By the time the building was built, it included the third floor, mainly because Dr. Powell and others thought we needed the third floor for growth potential. And that's what happens sometimes with visions from God. Sometimes when they come about, they're really greater than the original vision. I remember when Dr. Sloan announced that Dr. Creed was leaving. It was emotional difficult time. I spoke with Chip Conyers that day and he was crying. Even today I've seen Dr. Garland move to tears with the remembrance of that particular situation. It may be that there were political reasons why Dr. Creed had to leave. Dr. Creed was very, very popular with the students in those days. There was an unusual relationship between the students and professors in those early days, something that's carried over to this day, but it was very close in those early days. Many of the students called a professor by the first name and had very close relationships with him. Randall O'Brien was interim dean. He did very well. The faculty actually wanted him to be the dean. And Dr. Paul Powell was named the third dean of the seminary. Dr. Powell had a lot of experience as a leader, but was not an academic person. And he named Dr. David Garland the associate dean for academic affairs. From an academic standpoint, Dr. Garland served as dean. 
And Dr. Garland deserves a lot of credit for the way he was intermediary between the dean and the students uh, and the administration during those years. Uh, Dr. Powell brought a lot to the seminary. In addition to his ability to raise money, which he raised a lot for us, Dr. Powell also brought us credibility with the church at the crossroads. I remember I was preaching one time in a particular church in a small town in West Texas, preaching in that church, and that guy says, you know, I can trust Truett Seminary because Paul Powell is there. So he brought us a lot of credibility with the church at the crossroads while he was here. It was not unusual for any pastor to get a call from Paul Powell. Every time I got a call from Paul Powell, I knew he was going to ask for money. <laughs> and all but once he did, he asked for money. Um, he, started, he started the idea of, of people and churches giving scholarships so that our, our students would have, a, uh, have to pay commiserate with what uh, Southern Baptist seminaries would do and gained a lot for us that way. He also started giving honorary alumni certificates to those who wanted honorary alumni certificates. And I remember the first time they gave out honorary alumni certificates, I was one of those who received it. Dr. Cook was one of those that received it. And uh, uh, even several of the seminary faculty at that time received them. You see, I'd taken my seminary stuff down from the wall where I was. And I wanted something like this that I could put on the wall of my office. It was important to me in that day. And uh, so those kind of things became very meaningful to those who were outsiders. Uh, a word about the different deans and what they brought to the seminary. Dr. Sloan uh, really had a desire to produce pastor theologians. One of the reasons Dr. Olson came to the seminary was because of that very thing, I think. And I think that uh, the idea of pastor theologians was very important. Dr. Creed had the desire to create Princeton on the Brazos. Dr. Powell had the desire to get more and more graduates into the local church ministry and missions ministry. Dr. Garland, the word that best describes Dr. Garland, I think, is integrity, integrity in scholarship and integrity in ministry. And Dr. Dr. Tucker, the acting dean, excellence in academic administration. I'm very pleased at the way our graduates have been able to go out into significant churches, both in, as pastors, music ministers, youth ministers. They've been able to move right from the seminary and as young people into significant churches. And that's because those churches are seeking people from our seminary. And I'm very proud of that not only here in Texas, but, but all over. Um, I'm pleased with the way our professors have become very popular as pulpit guests in the local churches here in Central Texas and around the nation. Uh, Dr. Still, Dr. Glore, Dr. Garland, Dr. Gregory, Dr. Sands, Dr. Stroop, Dr. Cook, Dr. Tucker, Dr. Brewer, Dr. Reed, others, all of us on the faculty, well-known among our constituency. And that's very, very important, I think, to being the kind of seminary we want to be. The prophet of old said to his people, look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. And a wise man once said to his son, never forget where you came from. As Truett Seminary goes on to become the greatest seminary in the world, my prayer is that you will never forget where we came from.